It's time for Money Talk, your chance to call in and receive answers to all your financial questions, from investment management to planning for your retirement and beyond. The experts at BC Wealth Management are here to help, so you don't have to navigate these difficult financial decisions alone. The views expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. Call in now, 356-9397. And now here is Money Talk. All right, good morning and welcome to BUC's Money Talk. I'm your host today, Aaron Sutton. I'm a portfolio manager here with BUC Wealth Management in Champaign-Urbana. And joining me today, as always, we have two special guests. Uh, We have Thaddeus Yasunaga. He's a chartered financial analyst, charter holder, and portfolio manager. And uh, we have a first-timer today. We have Charlie Lynn. Uh, she's our managing director of our retirement plan services here at Busey. And she also holds a number of degree, uh, designations. Uh, I won't go through all those today. Uh, but rest, rest assured, she knows retirement plans uh, inside and out. Uh, so Charlie and Thaddeus, uh, thank you for joining me today. And, uh, yeah, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. All right. So Thaddeus, as always, we'll start with you with our uh, market update. Uh, you know, things have cooled off a little bit since our last show. Um, no shortage of news out there as always. So what I thought I would do today is uh, maybe have you uh, start with maybe on the economic side. Uh, as always, we get a, a key job report uh, comes out on this Thursday every month. So uh, maybe if you start there, just kind of bring our listeners up to speed on on what we're seeing happening in the economy. Sure. Yeah, we uh, we have seen a lot of volatility in uh, in some of the economic data and some surprises here. Uh, we just had our weekly jobless claims uh, number uh, come out this morning, and so jobless claims fell 34,000 uh, jobs uh, for uh, for a total of 444,000 for the week uh, ending May 15th. So that's a new pandemic low. So good to see uh, those those jobless claims going down. Uh, now continuing claims, and this is there's a weak lag on this measure, actually increased uh, by a hundred uh, hundred and eleven thousand. Uh, and so total unemployed, or so to, sorry, total continuing claims. So those on unemployment right now stands at uh, uh, three million seven hundred fifty thousand, or or so. So. So a bit, bit of mixed data, certainly good to see the initial claims going down, uh, but still high, high numbers of unemployment. You know, we're nowhere near where we used to be uh, pre-pandemic and still have a lot of ways to go uh, on the jobs front. Um, you know, last, the big number that, that everyone pays attention to uh, was, uh, is, of course, the, the non-farm payrolls number. Uh, so if you recall, earlier this month we had that, that release for the month of April, and there we saw the uh, the economy only added uh, 266,000 jobs, and that was a pretty big deviation from the uh, the uh, forecasters or the uh, the uh, consensus estimate, which was closer to 600,000. Um, you know, there there was a market reaction to that, and certainly um, there's there's been even some political reactions to that, where we see um, some states. Uh, looking to end end the enhanced jobless benefits, uh, and and that can we will start seeing that occur here as early as mid next month. Um, but I, you know, a lot of this economic data they are estimates and they are subject to revisions. 
uh, you know, with that with that very low report was also a revision that revised down the previous blowout uh, jobs report by 150,000 or so. So I would not be surprised if we see a revision that maybe brings that number up, uh, but certainly uh, somewhat discouraging to see uh, that that lower number of jobs being added. Yeah, um, I thought uh, I thought that was a pretty fascinating report. I remember there was a lot of optimism heading into that report. Like you said, the last one was pretty strong, and so I think everybody's expecting a good number. And then when it didn't happen, uh, like you said, it kind of shocked the market a little bit. And I think what you mentioned there too, I, I don't want to gloss over that too much. Is pretty fascinating though. Is it seems to me we're going to get an experiment basically in real time to kind of see what's driving uh, some of the employment situation. You know, you mentioned those states that are ending some of those enhanced benefits. I think I read this morning that's up to about 20 different states uh, are now doing that. So we're going to have one group uh, that's kind of making a major change to policy and another group that's not. And so I think maybe uh, we may get an answer to kind of what's driving some of these dislocations in the market. So, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that and brought that up. Um, and so, yeah, I, I just wanted to add that comments and, yeah, maybe – uh, where do you kind of see employment going from here? From what I see, it seems like it's trending in the right direction. Is, is that what you see? Yeah, yeah. I mean, from the economic data and the forecast, certainly uh, anticipate uh, jobs to increase here significantly. We, we have job openings. I think it's, uh, it has to be near an all-time high. I think that increased significantly along with that that employment report that came uh, came out earlier this month. So, uh, certainly, and, and anecdotally, right, if you go to a store, uh, <laughs> I know Busey, so here's a little plug for Busey. I know we have several openings and looking for uh, for candidates. Uh, so, yep. you know, many businesses are looking to, to add employees as, they, as we start reopening. Um, you know, some of the challenges, you know, that, that un- enhanced unemployment benefits may have, have an impact. There's also issues around child care uh, and some of the disruptions that we've had in school and remote learning and things like that. Uh, so certainly Definitely. we do hope that that as as we reopen, that um, you know those job openings can get filled. Uh, people looking for jobs can uh, can find jobs and and uh, and get started and get getting back to work. Uh, but yeah, it, it's it was uh, I think a big disappointment. Like I said, it did affect the market. We did see policy changes. Uh, we we have mm-hmm. continued to see. Uh, uh, interest rate volatility, you know, pretty pretty connected to you know the Fed policy is directly uh, dictated by the labor market as well as inflation. So uh, those two two areas do heavily influence bonds in particular. Uh, but but hopefully, you know, like I said, I, I think it was a disappointing report. Maybe it gets revised a little bit, but hopefully we do see. Uh, the employment outlook or or those those um, employment numbers increase here uh, as we as like I said as we reopen. Yep. Now definitely tied to that, I think we've seen a lot of reports of companies trying to attract employees are really having to increase wages to try to get candidates in the door. I think Bank of America you know, made a major announcement where their minimum wage is going to be twenty five dollars. I think Amazon. Uh, is raising their minimum to 17. So we're we're seeing a lot of anecdotal reports that uh, we're having to raise wages to attract employees. And so I think that kind of leads into our next topic uh, around inflation. 
so maybe if you could just uh, kind of give some thoughts there on, on what you're seeing with inflation. Yeah, uh, I mean, wage inflation is always important, and I, I did check out the, the, the official government statistics on that. And interestingly, uh, wages, ha wages are right, right about now, right back to where they were pre-pandemic. I think the wages, hourly earnings is, is maybe still a little bit below that. So there was a big dip uh, in last year, and so it's just now uh, sort of recovering. So, uh, you know, at least based on the government numbers, there probably is opportunities to increase wages, uh, and, and maybe sure. that is likely uh, as we, like I said, as the employment uh, numbers go up. Uh, but uh, there seems to be a bit of a lag there. Uh, inflation, on the other hand, so prices, consumers face, uh, really has rebounded. Uh, and so we, that was the other big economic news that we've had here recently was just a, a very high, high month over month uh, number in terms of the deflation. If you, if you look back at the year over year changes, of course, you know, we had a big uh, slowdown and related to the, to the shutdowns and the pandemic. Uh, so those numbers may not be as surprising, but month over month, we saw, uh, you know, core CPI increase nine-tenths of a percent, uh, which is interesting that it was higher. Core CPI was higher than the CPI measure that includes food and energy. That was only up eight-tenths of a percent. Uh, but somewhat concerning, a lot of inflation concerns. Um, you know, my my email box is full of uh, asset managers talking about inflation, so I, I know it's uh, full. I know it's definitely in the financial press a lot. Uh, so certainly um, been seeing a lot of talk about inflation and and pretty high prints. Uh, we did dig into that, you know, and we've been t discussing it internally, of course, uh, as an investment team. It's something we always review and look at. Uh, but this one was kind of interesting. What was driving that inflation? I mean, pretty much all the categories saw an increase. Uh, but but the one big jump uh, that actually drove a lot of the particularly the core number was this uh, increase in used used cars. Uh, so up 10% yep. uh, um, uh, month over month uh, in those price of used cars, uh, and um, you know certainly a big big increase uh, and and uh, actually a pretty significant impact on the overall number. Um, and and I. I it's it's surprising, I think, but uh, maybe not all that surprising. Uh, I know you know we follow automotive stocks, and and I think uh, I saw a headline again today of them uh, idling plants due to supply chain disruptions around chips, um, and and just when you look at the overall numbers and the impact and and sort of this bullwhip effect that we're seeing in the supply chain. Um, you know, due to the pandemic last year, automotive, the amount of cars produced globally declined about 20%. Here in the U.S., it declined about 25%. And, and actually, automotive production have been declining uh, for a couple of years since 2017. Uh, so, you know, we didn't make as many cars last year. Uh, I, you know, I don't know the demand side, but certainly people, as we're reopening, looking to get new cars, maybe having down payments to pay for new cars or used cars. Uh, the other elements of that uh, CPI report that were really high was transportation and transportation related. Uh, and so, you know, really it, it appears to be a shortage of supply. Uh, now, you know, we made 20% less. I think the factories in our economy is capable of producing more cars. Uh, and so, you know, hopefully it will be a, uh, 
just a just like I said, a, a supply chain disruption that you know this year into next year uh, production can ramp up and and meet that uh, that high demand that we're uh, we're seeing here. But certainly, uh, you know, inflation is a concern. Uh, hearing a lot of talk about it. Um, you know that we were talking about the CPI measure, but uh, the pricing producers face as well. So the PPI, um, seeing big moves in some of the the categories there, uh, like meat and poultry. Poultry in particular, we we uh, you know a lot of restaurants offering chicken sandwiches. <laughs> so apparently that's driving up the price <laughs> of uh, poultry. Uh, so chickens increased 20%, uh, and then of course uh, just building materials in general. Uh, very expensive, so big increases in things like asphalt, uh, lumber, and, and those types of things. So, um, you know, it could prove to be transitory. Uh, um, you know, some of it, you know, maybe we may not go back. I wouldn't expect us to go back to the prices we saw last year. Um, but, um, you know, already here in the last couple of days, we've seen the commodity prices declining somewhat, uh, giving up some of those gains. But, um, you know, certainly not written in stone that, that these prices, price increases are going to persist indefinitely. Exactly. And I, I think the key word you threw in there was transitory. That's, that's the word the Federal Reserve keeps using to describe this. Uh, and so I think your example of the car uh, situation is a perfect example of that, where uh, you had some supply disruptions, both uh, with lower production, now you have the chip situation, and that certainly does seem like that's something that can resolve itself over time uh, as those things kind of work through the system. All right, so uh, we're coming up about the midway point here. Um, Thaddeus, maybe real quick, just in the next minute or so, uh, if you can, just give us an update on some of the market returns that we're seeing and kind of where we're at year-to-date, if you can, real quickly. Yeah, sure. Um, so we're, we're pretty much through earnings season, uh, so where companies report first quarter earnings, and earnings have been pretty good, very good, uh, 87% overall beating uh, analyst estimates. Uh, you know, they grade to a curve, so gener- typically speaking, that's around 70%. Uh, you know, if it was yep. fair estimates, it should be 50 but uh, still very good corporate earnings. Uh, revenue is beating, too, 67%. Uh, companies beating on revenues. Um, you know, the response has been kind of muted from that good earnings number. I think a lot of that was maybe priced in. Uh, so markets have been pretty choppy here so far this month, uh, sort of range-bound. Uh, but for the year, still still solid returns, S&P 500 up. Uh, over 10%. Uh, you know, global equities just in general seem to be taking a break and uh, consolidating around this level. Um, but, but again, yeah, stock market's doing well. Bond market's sort of treading water. Uh, so overall, good investment performance. Yep. All right. Well, thank you, Thaddeus. That was perfect. Uh, so let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, we'll talk to Charlie about uh, the retirement plan services we offer here at BUC. Your business loan is with one bank, your mortgage with another, your investments with yet another. Lessen the complexity and streamline your finances with Busey Bank. Consolidate your wealth management, business and personal banking accounts with Busey and simplify your finances with one contact to help you manage it all. Busey, member FDIC. You're building a legacy and you're at a point where you're moving beyond your own financial goals. You're focused on your family's security, giving to a cause you're passionate about, or even starting a foundation. Entrust Busey Wealth Management to maximize your wealth's potential. 
We'll provide you with the highest level of personalized service with your goals and values at the forefront. Learn more at bc.com. Member FDIC. All right. Welcome back to BC Money Talk. Uh, I'm your host today, Aaron, and we also have today with us Thaddeus Yasunaga and Charlie Lynn. Uh, in this half of the show, we're going to talk with Charlie. Uh, she runs our retirement plan services group here at BC. I've worked with Charlie for a number of years. We do a lot of meetings together. Uh, so I'm excited to have her on the show. I know she knows this stuff inside and out. Uh, so really excited to, to talk to her and, and introduce her, her to our audience today. So Charlie, with that, uh, since it's your first time on the show, maybe you just tell the audience a little bit about what you do here at BUC and what your team uh, offers to our clients. Yeah. Thank you, Aaron. Our retirement plan services team here within BUC Wealth Management uh, consists of five people. We manage approximately $1.7 billion in retirement plans. Um, those are qualified retirement plans, which include things like 401k plans, 403b plans for nonprofit entities, you know, very similar to 401k plans. Um, also, profit sharing plans and then defined benefit pension plans. So each of our five team members has retirement industry credentials. That means we've been tested to measure our proficiency and knowledge within retirement plans. We focus only on retirement plans. So, you know, we're not dabbling in retirement plans, which is pretty different from a lot of our competitors. So the five of us only manage retirement plans. Um, we also have annual required continuing education. So that's really important because in the retirement plan space, there are changing regulations all the time. And then in the last couple of years, we've had three major changes to regulations. So staying up on that is actually a full-time job. Um, collectively, we have over 100 years experience managing retirement plans. Wow. Yeah, that's impressive. And you said you mentioned uh, you manage over a billion dollars just in retirement plans. Uh, which is just a huge number, uh, but maybe give our listeners, uh, put you on the spot here, just kind of a size maybe of uh, the average plan size, if you will, and, uh, you know, maybe our largest plan size, because I think it gives an indication of uh, kind of the capabilities we have here at Busey. Yeah. Our, our average plan size, I would say, is probably 5 to 7 million, maybe, maybe 10 million, around 5 to 10 million. Hard to say exactly. Yep. Um, we do manage some pretty large plans that help bring that 1.7 up. Um, mm -hmm. And then probably our smallest plan is, is around a million or so. Um, but yeah, kind of our, gotcha. our typical average plan, I'd say five to seven to 10 million around that. And then in terms of number of participants, um, I'd say right around 100 or maybe a little less probably our average size. Again, it's hard to say exactly what the average is. We have, you know, larger plans. We have smaller kind of professional group plans. Um, really, we, we don't have any kind of one standard client, I would say. Yeah, that's perfect. And I think that does give a good indication of, like I said, our capabilities. Uh, we can really uh, hand, handle about everything as it comes to retirement plans. I know, like you said, uh, your group 
just focuses on this day in and day out. Uh, and that's really a theme here at Busey is that uh, we do we have enough people here where we can specialize uh, in certain areas. Uh, and I think that's great because that means that each of us doesn't have to know everything about wealth management. Uh, we each have our own uh, specialties, and you're a great example of that. Now, I think you mentioned in your comments there, um, you know, the regulations are changing a lot uh, within this. That's one thing uh, you focus on. Uh, but maybe before I get that, and I think this all ties in together, uh, but if if our listeners out there are a business owner and they have a 401k plan right now, what are maybe some of the risks you see uh, with business owners that have a 401k plan? What can they be exposed to? Uh, and maybe what are some of the ways they can mitigate that risk, uh, both on their own and with the help of BC? Yeah, good, very good question. So uh, all qualified retirement plans are held in a trust account. That's a requirement um, and has been for a long time. Um, with, of course, with the trust account means there has to be a trustee, at least one trustee, and they are named in the plan document. Um, trustees are fiduciaries, that's what we call a fiduciary, and the fiduciary duty to retirement plans is one of the highest known to law. And that's pretty surprising to a lot of trustees, I find. So, um, you know, which, which is unfortunate, but again, not, not surprising. T typically, I see trustees of retirement plans are the owners of small companies or medium-sized companies or the C-level type of individuals um, or some kind of other similar, you know, controller type. Um, sometimes there's one trustee, sometimes there's multiple people named. Uh, like I said, though, oftentimes I find um, trustees don't even know their trustees. So <laughs> if you're a business owner and you don't know who the trustee of your plan is, odds are it's you. That's, that's what I find. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> um, because plan fiduciaries are required to act prudently using the care and skill that an expert would under similar circumstances, that's what's required of them. And if you don't know what the, um, what you don't know what you're supposed to do or you don't have that skill level, you are required to hire a consultant or an expert to help you with the plan. Um, so really, you know, if there is any kind of breach of duty to the plan, it's the trustee who's responsible. And again, what we, what I find a lot of times is the trustee doesn't realize that and they don't know they're actually personally liable. You can't buy insurance to reduce, to, to completely eliminate your risk as a trustee to the plan. So personally liable can mean fines or even prison time. Um, now that would be rare, but uh, it is possible. Um, again, most people are kind of surprised to hear about that. So really to mitigate risk, the, re the required things you're supposed to do are, like I said earlier, act prudently. So ways that you can show you're acting prudently is reviewing your retirement plan. You know, reviewing not just the investments. Investments, of course, are important, as Aaron would tell you. Um, 
So investments are important, but so are other pieces of the retirement plan. And you, and you should do a little bit of research, figure out what those things are. Again, ask your, your experts, so your advisors to help you with that. And be sure you are documenting the reviews of those. That is key. Document, document, document. So if you show that you're following some sort of prudent approach, then you're doing your duty. Um, you can also, you know, to really mitigate your risk, you can engage or hire a corporate trustee. That's going to help you very most uh, alleviate some of that responsibility and that risk that you have. So there's different types of corporate trustees. Um, active trustees or what we call discretionary trustees, those really afford the company the greatest fiduciary protection and risk mitigation. Um, discretionary trustees eliminate most, if not all, of the potential conflicts of interest that we find in retirement plans. They reduce the possibility of litigation and fines. Um, and then also, of course, minimizing the possibility of inadvertent rules violations as long as your corporate trustee knows what they're doing. Um, you can also mitigate your risk inherent with having a retirement plan by hiring an investment manager. So an investment manager that is willing and legal to be a 338, that's from the code section 3 and then 38 in parentheses, that type of 338 investment manager would be the one who would select, monitor, replace your retirement plan options. Because they have the discretion over the investments, they have the responsibility and the liability. So that reduces that liability from you, the company owner who has the 401k plan. Those are some ways really that you can mitigate that risk that you have. Yeah, perfect, Charlie. And like you said, I think a lot of people focus on the investment aspect, and so they may have a 338, and they, they think they're kind of good to go. But as you said, there's kind of levels above that uh, with that uh, active trustee service that we can provide and really kind of give, if you will, the ultimate protection uh, to those business owners. So I think that's a great point. Another key one uh, is fees. I know we talk a lot about that, um, and that's a a big topic when it comes to plans and probably honestly a lot of uh, where the litigation comes from uh, revolves around fees. So like you said, uh, documenting that, uh, you don't necessarily have to have the lowest fees out there, but you gotta know what your fees are, what you're paying and how that does compare uh, to the industry. So I think those are all great points that you made. Um, you know, regarding regulations, uh, I think you mentioned there before that these are constantly changing. It's a challenge to kind of keep up with that. Uh, so maybe if you will, Charlie, just maybe if you kind of uh, walk us through some of some proposed changes that are out there uh, or maybe some things that are on the horizon that uh, people should be on the lookout for. Yeah. So in um, December of 2019, SECURE Act was signed into law. So just, what, a year and a half ago. Right now there is what we're calling SECURE Act 2.0. And that just on May 5th, the House Ways and Means Committee voted to send that to the full House for consideration, the SECURE Act 2.0. And there are some provisions in there affecting retirement plans. Um, I'd say most people are pretty excited about these changes. One of them is the required minimum distribution starting age. So 
all retirement plans um, and IRAs are required, you as an owner are required to start taking distributions at a certain age. Used to be 70 and a half. Just recently with that SECURE Act change went to 72. So when you turn 72, now you start taking RMDs, we call them, required minimum distributions. SECURE Act 2.0 is increasing that age even more. And that would be starting at age 73 in 2022 and then going all the way up to age 75 in 2032. So a ways away. Um, but I think that's a good sign that uh, the, the government's kind of um, looking out for what people want. People want to have that RMD age starting later, and uh, that's the way it's headed. Another uh, thing that's in this SECURE Act 2.0 that I think will be really beneficial to employees is a higher catch-up limit for employees that are 62, 63, and 64. So the IRS limits the amount that you can put into a retirement plan every year. When you get to age 50, they allow you to contribute an additional amount every year. It's called a catch-up contribution. Um, and that is indexed every year, or most years, um, but right now it's 6,500 is the limit. And again, they're giving you that extra amount because realizing when people are getting a little closer to retirement, they need to contribute more money. Um, so the Secure Act 2.0 is going to increase that catch-up limit even more for those that are 62, 63, 64, up to $10,000. So from 6,500 to 10,000, I think that's going to really be beneficial for employees. Well, perfect, Charlie. Uh, there's a lot we didn't get to today, so uh, thank you very much. But, yeah, hopefully we'll get you back on the show and cover these. But uh, that really wraps up our show today, so thanks for joining us today. Uh, I'm Aaron Sutton. I was your host. Uh, and like I said, hopefully next time you can join us. Uh, you've been listening to News Radio 1400, WDWS.